where I guess this afternoon, right? Good afternoon, ladies. It is such a joy to be here with you all. And thank you, Linda, for asking me to share what the Lord has done in my life. Uh, it's truly a joy. I love Sojourners. I can remember the first time that I arrived in Sojourners. We Christians, we don't believe in accidents, right? <laughs> and, and the way that it happened, some will think, oh, yeah, you end up there by accident. But it wasn't. It was just the Lord's providence. I remember a Sunday after main service, the first hour, I was looking for Cornerstone. So I was walking up in the tower building, the same place where we meet for sojourners. And I, there was a lady right outside, uh, you know, sojourner, the sojourner's room. And I asked her to please help me to find Cornerstone because I didn't know, you know, where they met. And then she was like going through the grace today with me. And then she realized, oh no, but Cornerstone meets in the first hour. So you just missed it. But how about you come to Sojourners with me? And I was like, I don't know what Sojourners is. Okay, I'm going. So I went in and it was just amazing and nice day there. I was single at the time, now I'm married, and even when Richard and I were, you know, engaged, we got engaged, we were visiting other fellowship groups, but because Richard had already visited Sojourners, he also fell in love with Sojourners, and we love you guys so much, and you guys have been such a wonderful blessing to us, and um, as I was preparing for today and just thinking about just everything that the Lord has done in my life, it's just, it amazes me just to see how the Lord uh, brought us you know, from such a dark life into his marvelous, darkness life, you know, into a marvelous, to his marvelous light, marvelous light. And just thinking about that, and it seems like often when I'm, when I get the opportunity to share my testimony, I always go back to thinking about something that Paul says in Philippians 1.21, and I hope, and it's my prayer, that this is not just something that I think about, that I meditate on, but it's something that I hope that I can live out. And he says in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there is one of, one of my favorite quotes from Elizabeth Elliot. And she says, there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. Ladies, what are you living for? Are you living for yourselves or are you living for Christ? And whatever you're living for, is it worth it? Is it worth dying for? Well, as I reflect back to my life, I see someone who definitely was living for herself. I was living for my dreams and goals that I wanted to accomplish in life. But, you know, if I go even further back in my life, I see a broken, lonely, and hopeless, and even helpless child, some people would say. You see, I was born in a very small town in the Dominican Republic, and my trials began when I was just three years old. I have very vivid memories of what happened in my life since that age. I remember clinging to my mom's feet, crying and begging her not to leave me. Please, mommy, please don't leave me. But my mom simply said, I have to go. So my mom took her belongings and my two-year-old brother, and she walked out of my life, leaving me and my dad behind. I was left with my alcoholic father, and ever since I can remember, he was always struggling with alcohol. And, you know, my mom was still living in my town, but as I grew older, I wasn't really able to go visit her because she had remarried someone else. And today I know that my dad was just doing that because he wanted to protect me, and it was for my own good, although at that age I didn't understand it. 
So eventually, my grandparents decided that they wanted to take me in and raise me because my dad was struggling with alcohol. And so, honestly, I'm so thankful that the, they did, that they did take me with them. If, you know, when I think about my grandparents, my grandfather was always the hardworking one. He was the strong one in the family. He was the first, to te- the first one to teach me that if you want to eat, you must work. So he could have given me just the money. I mean, I don't know what a child would need money for, other than buying candies, honestly. That's what I did. Um, but he would stay make me work for it. And today I'm really grateful for that. And then my grandmother on the other side, she was a sweet, gentle, and very, very caring woman. She was so kind. She was known to be as a woman who loved God in my town. I remember seeing people from all over the town just coming to our house and, and to visit her because they wanted to talk to her. And I remember I was one of those people that loved just spending time with my grandmother. I loved being with her. And when I was with her, I just didn't feel lonely. And I can say that I saw genuine faith in my grandmother, but she didn't have the right teaching. She was a very devout Catholic who, strangely enough, uh, read her Bible. Um, and at times when I had finally learned how to read, she will ask me to read the Bible with her. I also remember doing the rosary at 6 a.m. with my grandfather and my grandmother, then again at 12 p.m., and then at 3 p.m., and then at 6 p.m. before going to bed. So, you know, and then eventually I also was told by my family that I was um, baptized as a child. And I just remember doing, you know, like going to the catechism classes for First Communion and then just participating in whatever religious tradition the Catholic Church had, I was part of that. So I participated in all of that. I even coronary Mary. I was crowning Mary because that's something that was very uh, usual to do in my town. So we will go to Mass every Sunday. I honestly don't remember anything that, that I learned <laughs> or that they talked about. And so throughout the week, my grandmother will ask me, you know, to read the Bible with her. Two of her favorite Psalms were Psalm 13 and Psalm 91. And honestly, I just loved living with them, with my grandparents. It was really sweet. But once again, trials came. My grandma was diagnosed with cancer. And during those times of horrible and physical pain, my grandmother will ask me to read the Bible to her. And I will sit by her bedside, and I will read the Bible for her. And again, to the two favorite Psalms, 13 and 91. So I prayed to God in the only way that I had been taught to do, you know. And I begged him to please, please, please heal my grandmother. But God had other plans. It was at that time that my grandmother lived this world. So when I was eight years old, um, my grandma had to go. I didn't really understand why all of this was happening. And there I was asking myself once again, why did my grandmother have to leave me to? Again, lonely, broken, and hopeless. And I was left behind my, grandma, my grandmother. So even as an eight-year-old, I thought of, you know, the thought of suicide seemed like a pretty good idea to me. I just wanted to end all my troubles. But we know that's not true. That is just a lie. We only make our trouble worse. So I went back to living with my dad, and it had been like six years since, you know, since my mom had left us. And uh, when I was with my father, I was around uh, nine years old at that time, and he remarried another woman, and he was still struggling with alcohol. I mean, my whole memory of living with my dad is just him being drunk. He will go months without eating and just drinking every single day. 
that was a very difficult time for me because unfortunately, I didn't have a good relationship with his wife either. It was a very complicated relationship with her. Well, fast forward, when I was 13 years old, God opened a new door for me and for my dad to finalize my green card to bring me to America. And that was always my dream. That was always my dream because my family, you know, from my dad's side, have already been living in the United States. So August 11th, 2006, I was very happy because I packed my bags and I moved to New York. So I was finally reunited with my family. Little did I know what the Lord had in store for me. Living in New York was both exciting and intimidating. I mean, a 13-year-old moving from a small town in the Dominican Republic to a huge city like New York, it was pretty scary, uh, you know, at least in the beginning. And then also there was the language barrier. I had to learn English. I didn't speak English at all. So that's why you might hear my accent <laughs> a little bit. So, you know, and then the new journey began to try to make, make new friends as well. So as time passed by, I just found myself being haunted by my past. I felt so depressed. I will cry, and I didn't even know why. I was feeling confused and just consumed by anger, especially towards my mom. I didn't understand why she left me. At this time, my mom and my brother had also moved to New York. And even though, you know, my dad always taught me that I needed to love her, like my dad never told me anything against my mom. In fact, it was always positive about my mom. Like, you need to love her, you need to respect her. But honestly, I didn't know how to do that. It was, it was the great, I mean, the anger was too great for me. I, I just didn't know even how to have a peaceful conversation with my mom. By the grace of God, I ended up moving with my uncle and his wife, which the Lord had already saved. And they were also going to a very faithful church in Queens, New York. And because I was living with them, well, I ended up going to church with them. I had no choice. I had to go. And honestly, my mind was blown away when I went to this church. The first thing is the person preaching is not wearing a wrong, you know, a long white robe. And the people, they all had a Bible. They all had a Bible with them. And they, they will stay after church to eat lunch. I mean, who does that? I never saw that in the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, you go in and you're out. Like, you don't spend time getting to know each other. They loved one another. They will, they will have what we know, you know, what I now call, like, what we've been having here. It's fellowship. That's what they were having, but I didn't know that either. But even though I, that I was exposed to the Word of God and the Gospel, my heart was broken and darkened, and I was dead in my trespasses and sins. So my second year of living in New York, one day after a very heated up argument with my dad over the phone, he decided to stop talking to me. And I do have to say that, though my dad had struggled with alcohol, he always protected me, even in that crazy state of his. He always protected me, he always loved me, and I was very close to my dad. So the fact that he stopped talking to me, it broke my heart. He wouldn't answer my calls or anything. So for me, my dad just meant everything. And now he wasn't even talking to me. And on top of that, I was dealing with depression and loneliness. My whole life felt like it was just covered with darkness and anger. And, and it wasn't just getting any better. So on that day, I decided to end my pain. And so I decided to commit suicide. I was just 15 years old when I decided to end my life. My desire was just to end my pain and suffering, not knowing that I was just making it worse. But God, in his grace and mercy, saved me from my physical death. 
And praise God that my plan, my plan completely failed. A journey of recovery began after this. I was hospitalized, and obviously everything came to light from my whole family. And during that time at the this, this uh, recovery center that I that was sent to, one, I wasn't able to see anyone in my family. No one was able to see me. Just my mom and my uncle will come. And I received a letter from the church that I was attending. And on that letter, they were just pouring out their love for me. And they told me how much God loved me. I broke down in tears because I didn't understand that. How could God possibly love me when I had committed an unforgivable sin? Or so I thought, right? Because we know that's not true when in reality, there is no sin too big for God. Sin is sin, and God is willing to forgive a repentant heart. But I didn't know that, at least not yet. Once I was released from the recovery center, I decided to move in with my mom and my brother, and it wasn't easy. I, honestly, we didn't even know each other. We didn't have a relationship. Trying to adjust to living with them was a struggle, and, and not having that close relationship, it was just chaotic, honestly, this relationship. But honestly, I was just hoping for the best. I was still struggling with anger, and the suicidal thoughts will come and go. And I was feeling hopeless, and I just didn't know what to do. I will do the rosary like my grandma taught me. I will tell God I was sorry, but I just felt this heavy burden in my heart because I was just trying to do good, be a good person. Though we know what Romans 3.12 says, there is none who does good. There is not even one. My whole life I grew up believing that I needed Jesus and do good works so that I could go to heaven. But I always found myself failing. I just never had the assurance of salvation, especially not after I had tried to end my life. I honestly had no hope. But God graciously brought me back to my uncle's church and from attending their services, Bible studies, small groups, and having conversations with you know, people in the church, the Lord finally opened my eyes to see and believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know many of you guys are familiar with the movie that we have seen probably, especially on Easter. I remember as a child watching it during the Easter time, you know, because it would play on TV back in my town. And it was the passion of the Christ. The one I will cry over because why would they kill an innocent man? Why? In such a horrible way. It all made sense at this point. I was guilty of this man dying on the cross. It was because of my sins that he died. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Why did God make his beloved son sin for us? Well, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. Sin is rebellion against a holy and perfect God. And there is nothing, nothing that you and I can do to appease the wrath of God against sin. Is there hope and forgiveness for fallen people like us? Well, the good news is this. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. And then it continues in eight, verses 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. So once again, is there hope for sinners like us? Yes, there is grace, there is mercy, and there is hope for every sinner that repents. I am one of them. The Lord convicted me of my sins, and I repented and confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. I finally understood that I have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. No amount of good works could ever, ever save me from hell. But most importantly, to restore my relationship with God. He is perfect and he is holy. I finally began to live for Christ and not for myself. I got involved in the church, you know, whether in the children's ministry or the youth group, uh, even street evangelism. I mean, whatever the needs were, I was there. I just wanted to serve my church and God's people. The Lord grew my love for his word, and I wanted to learn more about my Savior. And the more I read and studied his word, the less time I had to think about suicide or my sadness or my depression. And it took time. I'm not going to say that it was easy. It wasn't an easy process. But the Lord was faithful. And his word made me a new creation in Christ, which gave my heart true joy and everlasting hope. And just on a side note, I would like to let you guys know that the Lord, after many times of sharing the gospel with my dad, through letters, over the phone, the Lord saved him. And I'm still praying for my mom. I'm still praying for her salvation. And God graciously restored my relationship, even with my mom. I loved my mom. And the Lord, I'm so grateful because he truly, truly helped me to forgive her, knowing that I have been forgiven for much more. So who am I to not forgive her? The Lord has been so faithful and good to me, even when I was unfaithful to him. Well, after four years of attending my church in Queens, New York, the time came for me to decide where I wanted to go to college. So in 2014, once again, I packed my bags and I moved to LA for film school. I was pursuing film school. And I think one of the most challenging parts of moving to LA was not having my church family because my life now was surrounded by unbelievers and no one to keep me accountable. And I wish I could say that I was perfectly leaving for Christ, but instead, I once again began to live for Art Lenny's. I would openly say that I was a Christian, but my life said otherwise. I became a hypocrite, living a double life. In, in November of 2014, on a Sunday evening, one of my friends from college and I we were on the bus on our way to uh, the Walk of Fame. Um, and then the bus stopped right in front of this building. And I saw this big sign and it said, Grace Community Church. Mm -hmm. It didn't ring a bell in the beginning though. And then I saw the name under the sign and it said, John MacArthur. Wow, okay, I remember. My pastor's wife will talk about this man and how much he loves his teaching. 
And then there was another young man also who loved Pastor John's teaching. But I do have to be honest. In the past, I tried listening to his sermons, but, and they guys you up, but honestly, ladies, I just, I just couldn't. I was like, wow, this man is so mean. He's not a man from God. But honestly, I also had a little bit of trouble understanding his teaching. So I stopped listening to his teachings back then in New York. But because his name reminded me of my church that I loved so much and I missed so much, I told my friend, let's get off this bus and let's go inside the building right now. And we did. We went inside the building and there he was preaching. The man I was so afraid of to hear preaching, he was on the pulpit preaching that Sunday evening. And we stayed. I still keep visiting, you know, the church once in a while. But remember how I said that I began to live a double life once I moved here to L.A.? Well, I slowly stopped reading my Bible and going to church. Prayer was just when everything was, you know, were not going so well for me. And I surrounded myself with unbelievers. This verse came very true in my life. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Though I knew the truth, I walked away, became an unfaithful, selfish lover of self rather than God, and chose to continue to live for myself. I began getting involved in the party life and drinking alcohol almost every day, and even got in a relationship with an unbeliever, and we know that we cannot be unequally yoked. And that didn't go that well either. This new lifestyle almost ended up costing my own life. I remember one day how my Catholic friend, who I had told her that I was a Christian, she simply told me, well, I don't think you look like a Christian. Ouch. (laughs) That pierced my heart. And honestly, it was because I knew it was the truth. It made me so angry because I knew deep inside that she was right. I said I was a Christian, yet I was living and acting like the world. But God was always faithful, and he disciplined me as a father disciplines his child. I think many of us this year who had been the opportunity to study the Pentateuch in our Every Woman's Grace group, we can see how we're not so different from the Israelites. Though we are unfaithful, God is always faithful to us. I wish I could say that I learned the lesson the first time and the second time and the third time (laughs) but as my friends uh, once told me Arlenis you only learn the hard way the Lord began removing in my life a lot of those bad companies and after many heartbreaks and painful trials the Lord through his word brought me back to my senses I was desperate I was so desperate for a church family and just to hear once again the word of God I just craved being with God's people. So in September of 2017, I came back to Grace Community Church. It was a Sunday evening, and Pastor John was preaching. That Sunday, I decided to go up to this man, but remember that I felt that he was a scary man. (laughs) I don't know why I chose him out of everyone here. (laughs) So he was the very first person that I spoke to, and I went up to him. And I introduced myself and I said, Pastor John, I am here and I'm from New York and I'm looking for a church. How can I get plugged into your church? Well, he told me to come back on Sunday morning to come to the main service and then Crossroads and to also go to Foundation Bible Study on Fridays. 
He then asked me, uh, he then asked someone who was like standing somewhere close to him to give him a piece of paper and a pen. Um, and then he just got my email and my phone number. And he said that he was going to have his secretary call me uh, that week. I'm like, okay. Well, this first encounter totally proved me wrong. Pastor John is not that scary man <laughs> that, that I thought that he was. He was so kind. And I know many of you probably had interactions with him. And he is just so kind and so patient. He patiently listened to me. And I, I think that's something that stood out to me as I walked out of that, that day from here. Just his kindness and his humbleness, too. So as I walked out of the church, you know, in my head, I was just thinking, like, this man talked to so many people in this church. He will never remember that he even talked to me. In fact, he's going to lose that piece of paper that he got. So nobody was going to call me. Well, Monday came, and I had a voice message on the phone from a very sweet lady from Grace Community Church. So I called her back, and it was the sweetest conversation that I ever had with someone over the phone that I have never even met in my life, never met her. The Lord used that phone call to finally bring me to Grace Community Church. And I just wanted to let you know that when I started going to foundation, I got the chance to meet this lovely lady, which I consider a good friend now. And two years later, she sent me a picture of that piece of paper just to see the faithfulness, one, of our pastor and just the people that really care about the people here. So two years later, I was able to see that piece of paper where he wrote the, the phone number and the email just to see God's providence and his love for us. So I began attending the morning and evening service. I joined Foundation Bible Study. And the Lord surrounded me with faithful friends who were lovers of Christ and made me want to love Christ. I arrived at the perfect time too. I had been struggling again with anger and self-control. And guess what? I joined EWG, stands for Every Woman's Grace. <laughs> uh, and guess what they were studying? They were going through the book of Proverbs. And the topic for that week was anger and self-control. Perfect, right? <laughs> well, the Lord continued working in my heart through the studies of this precious group, and honestly, which I love dearly. I always look forward to EWG. So once I committed to come to this church, I knew I had, found, I had finally found my new home. Though my family was hoping almost for me to go back once I graduated, but I graduated in December 2017, and instead I decided to stay in LA because I had found Grace Community Church. As time passed, uh, it was at this church that I will, meet, uh, I will meet my now husband, Richard. And I wish I could say that once I met Richard, life was perfect and everything was just pure happiness, but it was not. Many of you here in Sojourners uh, faithfully pray for us for months and months and months. A month after Richard and I had gotten engaged, his health slowly began to decline. And in 2018, he had been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which in short is an inflammatory bowel disease that causes inflammation and ulcers in the digestive tract. And it got to the point that all the medications stopped working. There were many doctors' appointments, he was hospitalized, and the doctors just didn't know what to do. They didn't know what else to do with Richard. So Richard was homebound for seven months. We had originally planned to get married on April of 2020, but in January of 2020, we had to postpone our wedding. We didn't know when or if he will ever get better. At the end of April of 2020, Richard had to undergo a six hours long surgery, 
And I remember that week, you know, where, while he was at the hospital all by himself because that was during COVID and no one could really go and visit anyone at the hospital. I just found myself daily on my knees, fasting and praying to the Lord to please help my fiance. But it was that during that week that, during that, week that the Lord taught me a very important lesson before we even got married. Our Lenny's. Richard does not belong to you. He belongs to the Lord. I had to let go of what I was holding so tightly in my hands. There was a chance that I would not get to, to get married to this man, and instead, he could just possibly go home to be with the Lord. However, the Lord answered my prayer. He will be glorified. But God, in his love and kindness to us, through that surgery, restored Richard's health. Richard was finally able to begin his recovery. And so on July 11th of 2020, the Lord allowed us to say, I do. Just recently, I watched a video on YouTube. It was a, a Zoom call between Pastor John and Mark Zakovich with some of our missionaries in the Ukraine. And I love the words of encouragement from Pastor John to the missionaries, and I'm quoting him. I would rather live not knowing the future, but trusting in the providence of God than thinking I had everything figured out. My heart has more joy and more comfort when it's all beyond me. It's out of my hands because I'm waiting to see God put himself on display. Richard and I had to learn to put our full, full trust in God with the unknown. When the doctors couldn't figure it out what to do with Richard, we had to trust God. When nothing in his health changed and it continued to be the same or getting worse, we still had to keep trusting God. In the midst of a storm that seemed to never, ever end, we had to learn to trust God. We didn't handle this whole situation perfectly, as many of us don't, right? We don't handle our trials perfectly. But uh, there were times that I found myself questioning the Lord. Can you imagine this little thing here questioning a perfect and holy God? And so during that time, I was reminded of Job 38 to 40, and I will suggest for you ladies to read it in your own time. So I honestly read through the whole book of Job through that week that he was at the hospital, finished the whole book. So that week, when Richard was at the hospital, I found myself like Job saying, then Job answered Yahweh and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job, Job 42, 1 to 2. And then he continues on verses 5 to 6. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I reject myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Well, it was during this same time also that the Lord graciously gave us the opportunity to begin our podcast, um, Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. And... Uh, during that time, uh, but well, basically on the podcast, what we do normally is just interview believers and they come and share their testimony, sort of like what I'm doing. But in, 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 the, in the podcast, it's me asking the questions to our guests. And actually, my dear friend Andrea has been helping us, been serving in our podcast for since, I don't know, for two years now, basically. So it's basically just Andrea, Richard, and myself who do this podcast. And some people think that I do this full time, but I don't. <laughs> this is just... Um, in my own time, I work here at the church full time. So it's whenever I have my time, you know, I interview the people and then I also do the editing for this podcast. But you know, the, 
the more testimony I get to hear every time that everyone sits on that couch in my home and I listen to their testimony, it just, it just leads your heart to love God more and his word and his people and the church. And I know that every story is different. My story probably is not the same as yours. Some are more dramatic than others. But there is something that always, always remains the same. And it is this. We are all desperate sinners in need of a savior. We all need Jesus Christ. And our calling is to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to live for Christ. One of my favorite books, which I read as my devotional, is a gospel primer. And I love what the author Milton Vincent says in chapter 34. He says, The cross exposes me before the eyes of other people, informing them of the depth of my depravity. If I wanted others to think highly of me, I will conceal the fact that a shameful slaughter of the perfect Son of God was required so that I might be saved. Why would anyone be shocked to hear my struggles with past and present sin when the cross already told them I am a desperate, sinful person? I give thanks for the gospel role in forcing my hand toward self-disclosure and the freedom that follows. So at the end of each uh, episode on my podcast, I ask my guests this question. Why do we need Jesus Christ? And I hope this is a question that we can be asking ourselves daily. Why is it that you and I need Christ? You and I need Christ because without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are separated from God. We need Christ because he is the only source of life and he is the only way to the Father. Jesus himself said on, uh, says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We need Jesus because salvation is only found in him alone. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which, by which we must be saved. We need Christ because he is our high priest, our sweet counselor who can sympathize with our sufferings. We need Jesus because he is the perfect sacrifice. At the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. His righteousness has now been imputed to us. Because of Jesus' righteousness, you and I can confidently come before the throne of God and bring our prayers and worship and, and supplication directly to the Father. We need Jesus because without Jesus, nothing in this world is worth living for. For those of you who might not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I will beg you to repent from your sins because today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised. And the Lord is willing to forgive those who repent and call out to his name. In the beginning, I started by asking you, what are you living for? And I will ask you once again, ladies, what are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Why are you living for Christ? Can you say like Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
if you are living for Christ, here's our hope. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. And then it continues saying in verses 37 to 38, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are living for Christ, Christ is worth living for. And he is worth dying for. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, our gracious God, you are holy, holy, holy. You are perfect. You deserve our honor and glory and praise. Thank you for Christ. And thank you because you made him sin for us so that in him we will become the righteousness of God. Thank you for saving us, for calling us out of darkness into light. In your precious name we pray, Lord. Amen.